0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club? Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No to only replacements by law, 18 plus and conditions apply, hey, details.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a resiliency expert and Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the various challenges of life. You can find out more about me in this interview at my website. It's Tom, the number two, and Tal, T-A-L-L, Dot com. My guest today is Weldon Long, and yeah. Weldon has an amazing story that you're soon going to hear. Uh, he is a successful entre- entrepreneur, a sales expert, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Power of Consistency, Prosperity Mindset Training for Sales and Business Professionals. In 2003, he walked out of a homeless shelter and built an Inc. 5000 company with over 20 million in sales in just 60 months. Today, Weldon Long is one of the nation's most powerful speakers and a driven motivator who teaches others the sales and prosperity mindset philosophies that catapulted him from desperation and poverty to a life of wealth and prosperity. Uh, Weldon holds a bachelor's degree and an MBA in management, and he's honored to have served some of America's finest companies, including the Franklin Covey Organization, Tom Hopkins International, Dex Media, Wells Fargo Bank, Prepaid Legal Services, and the Carrier Bryant Corporation, many of those names I'm very familiar with. Welcome to the show today, Weldon. Well,
0: Tom, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: And that uh, introduction doesn't include probably the key part of your life that will just amaze people and encourage people uh, in any predicament in life. Uh, You walked out of a homeless shelter in 2003, but before that you walked out of a jail, and if I'd read correctly, you had spent uh, 13 years of your life in jail, and yet when getting out of jail to the homeless shelter and building this company in 60 months, something had to have happened in jail because you don't walk out of a homeless shelter and gather the knowledge and the wisdom and the courage to build a company in, in just under five months. So tell me, tell our audience a little bit about that prison experience and what changed your thinking inside of prison that resulted in the results you got when you got out. Absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, at, uh, in 2003,
0: at 40 years old, I was in that homeless shelter. Uh, and when I tell people I was broken homeless, it's not a metaphor.
1: <laughs> I had mm-hmm. no
0: furniture, no car, no family, no home, no anything. And as you mentioned, the reason I was there is because I had just been released from prison after serving uh, 13 years on three different stints, uh, starting in 1987 as a 23-year-old kid and uh, going through the next 15 years to 40 years old or right at 40 uh, over those 15 years, I spent 13 years in prison. I went to prison the first time at 23 years old. I was up in Denver, Colorado, and uh, picked up a guy hitchhiking. He and I were high on cocaine and ended up pulling a gun on these other two guys. And a couple of months later, I was on my way to prison for the first time and did about four and a half years, paroled uh, in uh, at about 28 years old, 27 years old. And when I got out the first time, time I was uh, – I was worse than I ever went in, you know, When I went in as a scared kid, and when I got out, I wasn't afraid of prison anymore, which is not necessarily a good thing, and, uh, but really hadn't developed the skills, hadn't made any changes, and was still thinking like a convict and feeling like a convict and acting like a convict, so about 18 months after I got out the first time, I went right back to prison on parole violations and gun charges, went back uh, for two years on those parole violations, got out again at 30 years old. When I got out of 30, I pretty much had written myself off and, you know, really just started defining myself as a a thief and a crook and a convict. And I made it about two years the the second trip out. And at 32 years old, I went back to prison for the third time. When I went back the third time, uh, I wouldn't get out until I was 40. So it's been about the last seven years. But as you eluded, during that last trip in prison, uh, some remarkable things happened that really shifted not only the direction of my life, but really the, uh, the entire shape of my destiny.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that, because to go from where you were to where you went, it had to be some powerful wisdom or knowledge that you gathered. And so uh, I understand that it was the book that is sold millions and millions of copies and millions or tons of languages, and probably for most people it would be in their top three to five books. Uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How did you get the book? Is there a library or did somebody give it to you? Uh, How did it happen to cross your path?
0: Really an interesting story. Uh, It happened on June 10th of 1996 and I remember the date so well because it was uh, the date that uh, one of the prison guards walked in and kicked my rack and told me that my father was dead. And That was a a real uh, eye-opening moment for me. I was 32 years old in 1996 and was just just back in prison on that third trip just starting that last seven-year stint and uh, the realization that my father went to his grave uh, knowing me as a thief and a crook and a liar he died unexpectedly at 59 years old it just devastated me and the realization of how badly i had disappointed my father my family everybody i just you know my eyes opened wide i couldn't deny i couldn't rationalize and justify anymore so uh, after a few hours, just desperately trying to figure out what to do, I decided that was going to change the course of my life. I didn't know where to start. I was 32 years old a ninth grade high school dropout. I'd already done about six and a half years in prison and was just starting another seven. And so I walked out of my cell down the tier in the uh, prison cell house. And the very, at the very end of the tier, there was a, a mop closet down there where we'd keep the cleaning supplies for, you know, cleaning the cell house in our cells and, there were a couple of cardboard boxes in there that the prison guards would throw books into. They would just bring them in and donate books. And I started going through that box and uh, uh, I came across a copy of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I remember thinking, you know, that's something I could definitely use, you know, some habits of successful and effective people. And so I took it back to my cell, and I devoured the book and uh, I felt as though Dr. Covey was speaking directly to me it just all made sense to me, and I just saw so many things in my life that I had ignored for so many years. And that book really, uh, you know, was the uh, was kind of the beginning of the process. And after that, as you and I discussed on a previous conversation, uh, Napoleon Hill, you know, Tony Robbins. I tell people I started at the Bible and I finished with Tony Robbins and everything. <laughs> in the book, you know,
1: and uh,
0: and good start. Uh, the you started time,
1: with you started with a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I spent the next seven years really changing the course of my life, doing the hard work, uh, and seven years later, walked out of prison, as you mentioned, uh, to that shelter, and uh, within a few short years, had built uh, a very successful life. And I wrote my first book in 2009, which was called The Upside of Fear, and it was really just the story of my life. And uh, I just uh, a, a strange twist of irony, I suppose, uh, years later, I got a chance to meet Dr. Tubby when my first book was coming out. It was uh, 13 years after my father had died. And uh, Dr. Tubby and I met. I got a chance to speak with him and travel with him. But he endorsed my first book on June 10th of 2009, 13 years to the day after my father died And I first picked up The Seven Habits. Oh,
1: wow. And yeah. at that point, uh, when that happened, you must have said okay god had an amazing plan or it must have been uh, an unreal out of body experience here's the man that ba- basically virtually saved my life and uh, you're speaking with him
0: you know i, I tell people of course dr covey uh, passed away a couple of years ago and he was a human being just like the rest of us and put, put his pants on one leg at a time and all that stuff but he happened to be the man that changed uh that changed the direction of my life and When we met the very first time, I was completely speechless. It was one of the most emotional moments of my life because I uh, just was so grateful to him and his work. And when uh, I began to to tear up and he put his arms around me and gave me a big hug and he, he leaned back and he put his right hand on my heart and he repeated three times, you have a divine destiny, you have a divine destiny, you have a divine destiny. And I asked him at the time, I said, Dr. Covey, what exactly do you mean by that? And he says, uh, son, and, of course, I'm 50 years old now, and at the time I met him, he was about 75 and I was 45. So I guess to him, I was, I was son, I was still young. <laughs> but, uh, but I said, Dr. Covey, what do you mean by that? And he says, son, he goes, your story. Uh, you've got to share this story. People need to know that no matter how far they've gone down, uh, they're able to get up if they're willing to do The work, And I think it leads to a really interesting point. People ask me all the time, how did did you do it? How did you go from a ninth grade high school dropout, you know, uh, 13 years in prison, all these crazy things to this life today? And I tell people I I didn't do it. It happened to me. Hmm. And I think that's that's the key thing that as all of us, when we're on this personal and professional development path, to realize that the principles that, uh, you know, that lead to success, uh, they're already there it's just a matter of us getting in alignment with those and and that's really all i did tom i got in alignment with success principles and my life changed so it's not as though i suddenly got smarter or luckier or or anything it was just a matter of getting in alignment with the principles that uh that fuel success
1: wow it must have taken some enormous mental Discipline while you're in prison to change those thoughts, as i'd mentioned before, my wife uh Kim has worked for a been a law clerk for a criminal defense lawyer for eighteen years, and she calls a lot of them uh, uh frequent flyers she knows every yeah. few years she's going to get a call from them and yeah. uh uh and then what also hit me was that the you found seven habits in a box read by uh, security guards. When my wife first met me she's not heard of Think and Grow Rich. She's in courtrooms all day, so she's asking people. Guards had read it, prosecutors had read it, lawyers had read it, clerks had read yeah. it. And so uh, powerful wisdom uh, that people can can learn from and as you said you just aligned yourself with success principles you didn't invent any of those success principles you just aligned yourself but while you're in prison with the only mental thinking you have and physical experience you have is crook prison no good yes. uh, you must have had to fight those 30 to 60,000 thoughts for a while yeah. a number of months that are saying, "Are you nuts? You're not even getting out of here for a while. How are you going to do all right.
0: that?" Yeah, you know, I remember uh, the first kind of inkling I got of any of this stuff and the real significance of it was uh, uh, as I read Seven Habits, but also was doing some other reading and came across a quote from Frederick Nietzsche, and Nietzsche said that we attract that which we fear. And uh, shortly after that, I came across a scripture in the Bible in Job, and Job said, "Father." that which I have fear has come upon me. And so I started noticing this kind of this, this concept that, that our thoughts, you know, tend to manifest themselves in our lives. So I started thinking, well, what do I think about most? What's my biggest fear? Of course, my biggest fear was living and dying in prison, never having a home, never having a family. When my father died in 1996, I had a son that was three and a half years old that I had fathered out on a, an earlier trip out on parole. And of course, I had no relationship with him. I had completely abandoned him, and so my life was in a, in a really bad spot. And, and one of my biggest fears is I would never know my son. I would never be the father he deserved, et cetera, et cetera. And then I realized, wow, everything I fear looks pretty much like my life. <laughs> and I realized <laughs> that all the chaos and fear and 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 uh, you know, in my mind, was somehow getting out and showing up in my life. And that was my first uh inkling that i needed to change my thoughts and uh this was about the the time you know during those months where i picked up uh, think and grow rich and you know mm-hmm. thoughts are things one of the first lines in in uh, in the uh, pulling hills mm-hmm. you know classic famous book and so i decided that i needed to change what i think about and so i took out a sheet of paper and i decided that i was going to write out what a perfect life of would look like and i'll just share that with you here It's from my first book the upside of fear but here's what i wrote in the sheet of paper says i am an awesome father to my son now obviously at the time i had abandoned my own son so you know i was really dreaming big you know <laughs> uh, i'm an i am an educated man at the time i had a ninth grade education i own a beautiful mountain home i'm a successful businessman writer and public speaker I'm writing a book on the beaches of Maui. I didn't even know where Maui was. I I tell people I thought Maui was in the Caribbean. I just hadn't, you know, I'd never been anywhere. I didn't know anything. (laughs) Uh, The next line read, I'm wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. I have an honest, trustworthy, and beautiful wife. I am a man of character, honor, and integrity. I wrote those things on a sheet of paper, and I put toothpaste on the back of that sheet of paper and stuck it to the wall in my cell. And over the next seven years, every day, I would read that list. I would meditate on it. Uh, one of the things I learned from Napoleon Hill uh, in Think and Grow Rich, and uh, there was another great book of his called You Can Make Your Own Miracles, which was another favorite of mine. And Napoleon Hill wrote that when we read uh, or review our dreams, that it's not enough just to read them, but we've got to get deeply emotionally connected. he wrote about just, you know, allowing yourself to get excited and really get absorbed in these things. And and that's what I would do. I, I would read that list uh, every morning, every night. I would close my eyes, and I would allow myself to create the emotions as if uh, it had already happened. And over the next seven years, I did that, and it completely, you know, it completely changed uh, my thought process, my emotions, my character, because uh, it, it became what I expected of myself. And as I would read that list, over time, I began to act in a manner consistent with that list. You know, it wasn't just going to somehow happen if I was out in the prison yard you know, playing all the prison games and getting high and doing this and doing that, you know, I, I had to make sure, one of my favorite uh, uh, quotes is Will Rogers' quote, that even if you're on the right path in life, you'll get run over if you just sit there. So <laughs> I said, okay, now, it's not enough just to write these things down and get emotionally connected, uh, as Napoleon Hill wrote, but I need to take consistent action. I learned that from Tony Robbins as well. Uh, in the, One of the prisons I was at a couple of years later in the federal prison system, they had a... A, a copy on cassette of Personal Power, the 30-Day Program. And I would go in the library every day in my headphones and listen to Tony Robbins, and Tony just would pound that concept, action, take action, take action, take action.
1: Massive action. And
0: massive action, exactly. And it just it really, it, I, I believe, honestly, it really changed the neurology of my brain. It completely reconnected and reframed my brain. I don't know how else to describe it. And, uh, but I walked out at 40 years old years later, and I was a man on fire. I was a man on a mission. And everything on that list came to pass, by the way. Within just a few short years, I ended up getting my GED while I was still in prison. I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. Uh, I got out of prison. My son was 10 years old when I got out. His mother was in some trouble. So I got custody of him and, and, and raised him. He's 22 years old now in college. And uh, beautiful homes on Maui, beautiful homes in Colorado. All these amazing things happened just the way... Uh, the great thinkers, the great writers uh, like Napoleon Hill, Stephen Covey, and all these guys, just like they said it would. It all happened just the way they said it would.
1: Wow. wow, Amazing story. And so one of the coolest things I thought, uh, of course, people love the prosperity, the the success you had business-wise, which is <laughs> baffling and surprising, but not so when you know the Contents of all these great books you read, but uh, within a year of getting out of prison You married or met or married the most uh, I read it described the most amazing woman you had ever met in your life Uh, That must have been a real heck of a sales job
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I I suppose that it was and uh, I was very fortunate in that regard and uh, met a very very wonderful person uh uh ironically, uh as things in life often happen, uh things didn't work out perfectly and uh we actually divorced a, a few years ago. But uh I think in the divorce I often tell people that I, I, I felt like the real challenge of my integrity would be how I conducted myself in a divorce. So when my uh wife and I decided that we were better business partners than we were marriage partners. Um you know, I thought it was really important not to have one of those breakups where things were, you know, uh, you know, heated and very acrimonious and very disrespectful to each other, and and work in a very respectful way and, and very very generous way, because as I said, I, I believe that uh, a person's integrity. I don't think there's any situation that will test your integrity more than than that kind of situation. So uh, even though even though that was a, a negative thing, as we both know, I. In fact, you mentioned this earlier, that uh, you're going to have problems in life. I always tell people you're going to have money problems, you're going to have relationship problems, and you're going to have health problems at some point in your life. I mean, some you might get them all at the same time. You might get a divorce, lose your job, and get sick all the same week, you know. Bad things are going to happen to good people. But the real test of life, the real test of our character is how we respond to those situations. And do we do we abandon the principles of integrity when the chips are down? You know, there's that old saying that, You know circumstances do not uh, do not make a man's character the circumstances reveal the man's true character and uh, Mm. so even that situation uh, it was a huge learning experience
1: amen and uh, my parents after 27 years went through the same experience and uh, uh, but so amicably and right up front uh, my dad hey you did a great you know This is a half-half thing, and uh, when there's no arguments, no fighting, and I didn't tell you that the other part of what my wife does is work for a family. She's a family law and criminal lawyer, so often the Mm. two turn in. Often one turns into the other. Family law turns into criminal, Uh, but if you can go through it with the same integrity as you would uh, uh, go through your business operations and anything else in life, It's a great honor to the children involved and to everybody who sees the process unfold. And so uh, when you can be honorable and true to your principles in that very uh, unfortunate and often nasty circumstance that it can come into, that says more than a lot of other things you might have done in your life. So uh, good for... uh,
0: I tell people all the time, Tom, that it's easy to do the right things when things are going good. You know, it's easy uh, to be strong and, and and outgoing and positive and optimistic when things are going good. But the real challenge will be what happens when the bottom drops out? What happens when bad things happen to us? And, and, and You know, they're going to happen. And to me, that's the true test of our character.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's uh, where it uh, really starts. Now, uh, talk about your... Fear model, uh, one of the people I admire the most, one, uh, a very good friend, uh, he describes fear as the stumbling block for almost anybody. Anybody who doesn't achieve uh, what they want, he thinks there's fear in there somewhere. So talk about yeah. your fear model. It's so important.
0: Absolutely. Uh, fear is an acronym for focus, emotional commitment, action, and responsibility. Those four steps. And, you know, you know and I know in the work that you do and the work that I do professionally, uh, in fact, most people know uh, that there is a relationship between the most successful people and their attitudes. If you look at the – if you just, you know, thought about somebody who made a great income and they were really successful and then just started, you know, writing out their characteristics, uh, it would be optimistic, focused, positive, energetic, all these things. And so we all know there's a relationship between success in life And our attitudes Uh, i think where people have a little bit of a misconception is that they, they believe that either some people are lucky and have a great attitude and they're optimistic or they're unlucky and just have a pessimistic negative attitude and the reality is that we can create that positive optimistic attitude you're not just born with it or not you can actually create it and the fear model is what i use to help people create that. Uh, The first step, the focus, is obviously decide, you know, what do I want? What do I I really want? And sometimes you've got to peel that onion because the thing that we think we want sometimes is actually the thing that will give us something else we want even more. As an example, I was talking to a young man uh, recently, and he said he wanted to make $100,000 per year. And I said, well, that's great. What are you going to do with that money? He says, well, I'm going to pay off all my debt. I said, well, that's great. What are you going to do when you get debt-free? He said, I'm going to buy me a house. I said, well, that's wonderful. What are you going to do then? He said, I'm going to get me a family. So the family was the true thing that he wanted. But you've got to kind of peel the onion when you're getting focused. Right. Uh, I don't need to tell you, but Napoleon Hill outlined on um, the very first part of Think and Grow Rich, a definite purpose it was one of the most critical elements of success. And to me, that's getting focused, getting focused on the things that are really matter, uh, the, the main priorities, the things that are really important to us, and getting very specific. You know, one of the examples I use very often is that we've all experienced, you know, you leave work one day and you get in your car and you drive across town on your way home. And while you're on your way home, you're maybe drinking a cup of coffee and your kid calls you and reminds you to come pick them up at soccer, or your wife calls them so stop at the store, and you've got traffic and you've got all these different things going on. And then suddenly, without ever thinking about it consciously, we pull up on our driveway, you know. Now, the first time we drove to that house, we couldn't just drive there without thinking about it consciously. We had to have a map or directions, a GPS or whatever. But over time, as we made that trip, the directions from point A to point B became, you know, second, uh, second nature, became, you know, part of our subconscious. Well, we've all had that experience, and that principle applies to anything in life. Point A might be $50,000 a year. Maybe that's what I'm making now. And where I want to go, point B, is $200,000 per year. All I have to do is figure out the directions, just like I drive home from work. And at first, I'll have to concentrate on those directions and really pay attention. But if I stay at it, eventually, the directions from 50000 to 200000 become second nature. They go to our subconscious mind. And we automatically start doing the right things. So that's why I think it's so important to have a very specific uh, or definite purpose, as Napoleon Hill wrote, because if, if I'm driving home from work, it's not good enough to get to my neighborhood. I've got to get exactly to my home. I have to have a definite location, specific location. So it's the same way in any goal setting. In any, any situation we want to achieve, we've got to be very specific. So that's kind of the focus that getting clear on exactly what you want. Uh, also part of that process is examining limiting beliefs. What ideas do we have that are you know, deep, deep in our subconscious mind that are inconsistent with what we want today. For example, my dad used to tell me when I was a kid that rich people are crooks. You know, that's what he believed. Well, it comes as no surprise when I grew up, and was in my 20s, I did not see the problem of money to have money because, you know, hey, rich people are crooks. So we have to be very, very aware of what did we learn about money, relationships, health and fitness when we were young because in many cases we can, you know, most cases, in fact, we'll be kind of living out uh, those expectations As I tell people, if you've ever had the experience of having your father's voice come out of your body, you know, (laughs) or something your dad used to say, that's something that's deep in our subconscious mind. And sometimes the irony with these limiting beliefs, it's what I call junk in the trunk, you know,
1: Um,
0: these limiting beliefs, sometimes we can do the things that our parents did that we we liked the least. And just to give you a a quick example, when I was young, my dad would yell at me, and I love my dad, I miss my dad every day, but... He put a lot of bad ideas in my mind, you know, expectations about money, relationships, etc. And one of the things he would do is yell at me. And then when, we would, when I would ask him why I had to do this or had to do that, he would always say, because I said so. And he used to infuriate me as a kid. Well, when I got out of prison the last time and got my son, he was 10 years old, and I decided, okay, I'm going to be a better, different father than my dad was to me. So I made a, a resolve to never yell at my kid and if he had a question about something, I would answer it and, and give him reasons why we had to do certain things. And then, of course, he became a teenager, and, and all bets were pretty much off. You know.
1: <laughs> and
0: I'll never forget one night he comes home at 1130 on a Friday night. He was in high school, and his curfew was 11 p.m. He came home 30 minutes late. And when he came through that door, I was so angry that all of a sudden my dad's voice came out of my body. And I started yelling at my son. The same way my dad used to yell at me, using the same words, you know, the same, the same uh, arguments. And then my son and I start getting this argument, and finally he yells at me. He says, "Well, why do I have to come home at 11 o'clock? Everybody else could stay out till midnight." And of course, I turned to him and I said, "Because I said so." The same yeah. exact thing my dad used to <laughs> say to me. So that's that's the, and a good example of how limiting beliefs that go into our minds, you know, where kids can come out 30, 40 years later. So. That really is the focus, that figuring out what you want specifically, and then of course, what are the limiting beliefs that may be holding you back.
1: Right, right. And so important, I talked to as well about managing your thoughts. You have to almost pre-choose your thoughts. And so by reading Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, Think and Grow Rich, uh, you fill your mind with enough examples of people who have overcome difficulties, or remain positive, so that when the challenges come your way, you ought to already have those thoughts in your head that, okay, there's a challenge, but people have overcome way worse challenges than this, and if I just stay positive and, and be consistent with what I'm doing, I'll finally get there. And so, yeah, you have to manage those thoughts purposely and choose them in advance so that when the tough times come, uh, they're not overwhelming those thirty to 60,000 thoughts a day.
0: Right. As I often say to people, you can't just go through your life thinking. you got to stop and take some time and think about what you're going to think about. And that's exactly what you're saying there. you got to think about what you're going to think about.
1: Think about what you're going to think about, exactly. And yeah. uh, so also when you got out of prison, uh, uh, I've been in sales for like all my career. I, took four, uh, I studied accounting and I worked for three years as an accountant and I found it too boring you don't meet a lot of cool people every day when you're an accountant so uh, sales when you got out a jo- at a jail sales everybody if you have a great personality you've studied some great personal development books uh, applying it to sales is often the least expensive method and the easiest way to uh, get a job and uh, you didn't start out with a sales system there either you had to develop your own right
0: Right, well, I had read a lot of, uh, in addition to the personal development books in those last seven years in prison, I started reading a lot of sales books. I, I knew instinctively that I was not going to get a job, you know, working for IBM or something like that with my <laughs> criminal record. And right. so I said, well, I, I need to learn how to sell, you know. And um, I really started reading a lot of Tom Hopkins. Uh, Tom wrote a book 30 years ago called How to Master the Art of Selling. And I really devoured that book and, and learned so much about sales, from Tom and he was another one by the way another one of my kind of my uh, uh, I don't know just one of my guides along my journey that I got a chance to meet when I got out I've uh, done an awful lot of work with Tom he's become a great friend and in fact uh, last Christmas he and his family stayed with my family and it's just remarkable uh, you know that that the people that I learned from that so many of them I got a chance to meet and, and uh, to work with when I got out but uh, I learned a lot about sales from Tom And uh, I didn't really have a system per se, as as you mentioned, but I got out there and I I was determined. And 99% of sales is mindset. You know, you can take two salespeople, uh, you know, uh, side by side, one really, you know, a, a very outstanding performer, great sales results, just a top performer, and another person that's a mediocre performer. And they can be in the same town, they can be in the same company with the identical external threats, you know, the external challenges. The same economy, same customer, same boss, same lead, same everything. And yet one person is out there just killing it, and the person is struggling. Well, we know it's nothing external because they have the identical external circumstances. So that I means it's gotta be an inside job. You know, it's gotta be inside inside their head. And that's where so much of the, the work and I think that's why, you know, we see so much of the personal development tying into sales training and sales books because you know, the words, the words are, are, are one thing, but you've got to have the mindset to use them. I tell people it takes three things to be really successful in sales. You've got to get your mind right, which is the mindset you and I have been talking about. You've got to get your sales right, in the words, have a sales process, and you've got to get your consistency right. And if you combine the right mindset with the right sales process and the consistency principles, then you're going to be successful. And the reason we know that is very simple. You simply cannot think the right things on a consistent basis, do the right things on a consistent basis, and accidentally create the wrong results. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So uh, yeah, the mindset is so important. And, and again, I'm very grateful to the, the great thinkers, the Brian Tracys, the Tom Hopkins of the world, uh, the, the Grant Cardones and all those guys that write about sales and different things. And they, just, uh, they taught me an awful lot.
1: Wow. <laughs> your story, as Steve, what did Stephen Covey say with his hand on your heart? You have a mission, is it? Have a, a divine destiny. A divine destiny. Yeah. Uh, a divine. Yeah. And it was a pretty powerful. It? it was
0: a pretty powerful moment. I'll never forget when I, when I met him. Uh, I had met another person, another man that had known Doctor Covey for forty years, and he had arranged this meeting. And I was actually, when the meeting happened, I was talking to this guy that made the introduction. And Dr. Covey was uh, at the other end of the building doing autographs, and uh, he left that place where he was in the auditorium and he came over behind me and I thought we were going to meet later and I felt a hand on my shoulder and when I turned around, it was dr covey and I was so emotional and that I really been, you know, I had all these great questions I wanted to ask him, and when I saw him i just i, mean, I just my mind went blank you know and uh he said to me, this is my first book. I had sent him a manuscript, my first book. And he says, uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed your book. And I didn't know what else to say, so I said, well, I, I enjoyed your book,
1: too. And <laughs> you know? yeah, me and 40 million others, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Nice. And that's uh, probably worth as much as money to have people at some point, or uh, you've been out long enough and written that book long enough, uh, been out long enough that... Uh, people's lives have been transformed by your story and, uh, you take the money and you earn the money, but in the end, uh, uh, your destiny is to help people change their lives because if, if you can do it, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> from where you came from, well, there's very few people in, <laughs> in a circumstance where they can't achieve what you have achieved. And some people may get frustrated if they don't achieve the, uh, financial success you have, but all the other l- way to live your life, the principles the all of it it's, it's, is the same you didn 't invent any of them. Uh, right. you just really need to align your life with them in every circumstance, no matter what happens and then at some point, uh I wish it was a mathematical formula, but uh, you know Napoleon Hill talks about the principle of going the extra mile. And if there was only a formula, you could prove to people that if you serve this many people, you'll earn this much money. Right. It doesn't work out that way, but when you've used it and tried it and see it work, you know that, wow, in the end, that's the true formula. Give yourself away to help other yeah. people, and in the end, the benefits are going to come back to you as well as to the people that you serve.
0: As Zig Ziglar used to often say, you'll never get paid for more than you do until you learn to do more than you get paid for. You know, it's, you got to start with doing more and going the extra miles. You mentioned. I'll tell you some of the most rewarding letters and uh, feedbacks and comments and things that I get from people or from guys in, in prison. I there's a program in uh, in the federal prison system here in, uh, in here in Colorado in Florence, Colorado. They've got a huge federal prison complex, and one of the one of the uh, uh, the, the cops that work down there with the inmates, developed a program called Doing Time with the Right Mind. And it's not so much about what you're going to do when you get out. It's about being productive and functioning and effective and living a you know a, a good life inside a prison. And the two books that are the curriculum for that program uh, are Dr. Covey's book, Seven Habits, and my first book, The Upside of Fear. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was so amazing. Like, they contacted me and told me about it. And I actually went down and spoke to the group a couple of times,
1: a couple wow. of graduating
0: groups. And it's just that that my my little book, my first book, you know, is is part of that program. And I just got in fact today, in fact, uh, I'm shooting a video for a group of prisoners in Utah. I got a letter from a cop in Utah in the Utah prison system. And that several of the inmates about a year ago started the program about mindset and, uh, you know, think and grow rich, seven habits, and my book and a couple others are the curriculum for that program. And I was so moved when, I, when I, uh, they wrote me this letter and just, you know, that uh, well, I, I, I can't get in there right now because I've got to fit it my schedule to get out there. But what I'm going to do today is go in and shoot a, a video. We've got a, a television studio here we broadcast from. I'm going to shoot a video for the inmates out there and just tell them how, uh, how proud I am of the work that they're doing and different things. And, of course, there's no, you know, there's no compensation for those acts in terms of monetary compensation. All right. But... Uh, You know, in in terms of of the law of compensation, according to, you know, Emerson, you know, it's it's, a cash payback in the the long run. Right. I believe, as you do, that uh, one of my favorite quotes is Leo Tolstoy. Tolstoy said, service is the true meaning of life. And the older that I get, I'm 51 years older next month, and the older I get, the more I realize how true those words are, that service is the true meaning of life. Amen. I love
1: Emerson, the most visited, Entry page, search page that comes to my website every month is the Ralph Waldo Emerson success poem. And I read as well that you repeated one of his quotes every day for seven years. To map out a course of action and follow it to an end requires courage. Courage, yep. Yeah. yeah, very, very that.
0: powerful. So many of, of Emerson's uh, uh, writings were just so thoughtful and so meaningful and poignant you know And you read guys like that and the row and these guys it's like well, how smart must they, they have been and, and and Napoleon Hill is the same way I mean it could just take some concept and synthesize it down to one sentence and he's like whoa that makes <laughs> I mean thoughts are things I mean how I don't I mean three words thoughts right. are things that sums up Everything. I mean, you can take all the neuroscience of success, all the psychology of success, <laughs> and all, you know, hundreds and hundreds of volumes of books and wrap it up into three words, thoughts or things. Right. And I mean, it's a, one of my, uh, another quote I really enjoy, I'm doing some research when I wrote the, the Power of Consistency and Stephen Jobs of Apple Computers. Uh, he said the key to his success was focus and simplicity, but it's, it's very hard to get simple. You know, it, it takes a lot of work to get the mind, uh, as he called it, uh, it takes a lot of work to get your thinking clean. And that's what these really brilliant people like Napoleon Hill and others are able to do. They get their thinking so clean, uh, Emerson and Thoreau, and they distill these complicated concepts down to just uh, a few words. And I'll just share one more quick example of, of uh, one story about that. When the, the Power of Consistency came out, it was at the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, bestsellers does. I got a call from a guy that works for FedEx Federal Express, the shipping company. His name is Ed Nottingham, super smart guy. He's written a book of his own. Um, and he's, ba- he's a, a clinical psychologist and a, uh, a PhD, and he teaches these principles you and I are talking about today. He teaches them to the leadership uh, folks in FedEx. And when the book came out and he read it, uh, we got him a phone call one day, and he says to me, he says, uh, Wally, everybody calls you Wally. He says, this book is the simplest explanation of the psychology of success and the principles that are the underpinnings of rational emotive behavior therapy and decision-making I've ever read in my life. And I'm like, there's a name for this stuff? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just common sense, you know? It's just really common sense. And so um, I'm just, uh, just, you know, it's just amazing to me how some of, the, some of these really smart people can distill ideas down to just a few words, thoughts or things. Yeah. I mean, that's just uh, your
1: brilliance. <laughs> exactly. End of book. <laughs> Put it down right. now. You That's all. <laughs> Go right. out there. Yep. Uh, yep. Powerful, powerful. Thank you so much, uh, Weldon, for being here today. Uh, your story uh, really epitomizes my message of uh, think, speak, and act positively through the challenges of life. Uh, amazing story, business success, but I think the overall legacy is going to be that you're really going to be changing a lot of people's lives and thinking that probably you may never meet, and in the end, uh, that's a great contribution while you're here on this uh, planet.
0: Well, thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. It's been a lot of
1: fun. Have an amazing day. Yeah, well, then, thanks so much. Thank you.